Hello, Rachel. Hi, Ryan. How are you going? You know, I'm just feeling like I'm not living up to my potential. You're not living up to your potential? Mm. Have you not woken up and realized you were special? Hmm? Have you not done that yet? No, I haven't. You haven't done that yet? Well, I'm... I... uh, I... uh, Ryan understand your pain and concern, and I recommend this treatment that I have. It's a little bug that we put onto your back. Don't worry, it's totally good and not at all creepy or sinister. Uh, Real talk. So if I say no, you'll take the no? Oh, we are consensual bug givers here. That's a real talk, real talk. They didn't have that scene because they couldn't write that scene where you see them convince people to have parasites burrow into their spinal columns and control their brains because there's no way they could write that convincingly in the confines of this episode. But I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. We are Yum Yum Podcast because of an amazingly and uh, not just amazing, not just a spectacular, but a truly groundbreaking and world-changing line of dialogue from Star Trek Discovery, Yum Yum. It was uttered in that TV show. It inspired us to want a podcast, to want to delve into a piece of media, analyze it, review it, rewatch it, see how the gears of a thing work. We cover Star Trek Discovery and we cover, uh, in this one, Babylon 5 from a rewatch point of view. So if you have not seen the series before, we recommend recommend you give it a watch so you don't get spoiled on the details uh and that is of course what we always say and it even still applies with ex you don't want to find out too early that Marcus and Franklin get married. Like, you just don't want to find that out too early. You don't want to find that too early. Uh, see, Rachel told it within the first five minutes. See, that's the kind of spoilers you're going to get if you stick around, if you haven't seen the show, or if you care. So that has been that has been it. You've been warned. You've been told everything you need to know. So let's not beat around the bush. Let's get into it. We are re-watching Babylon 5. We're in Season 3 with Episode 7. Exogenesis. Rachel, you have the DVD description, so please inform us all on what we watch today, because I need a description to fill me in. An alien parasite that invades directionless humans and gives their lives meaning proves to be an ancient race's way of preserving its experiences. (gasps) Spoiler! But with that newfound meaning comes a deadly risk. What risk? I just watched the episode and I don't fucking know. What risk? Is it that if you're a dust user, you can die? because If the... you're impure. Yeah, if you have foreign substances in you, like a curry, uh, <laughs> it's too spicy for the bugs to get into you. So there you are. Um, oh, heaven forbid they come across Lister. Oh, Lister from Red Dwarf would kick these bugs' ass. I- I'll tell you that for free. I'll tell you one thing. I've been to a parallel universe. I've seen time running backwards. I've played pool with planets and I've given birth to twins. I never thought in my entire life I'd taste an edible pot noodle. Exogenesis is an episode of Babylon 5. Tell us your journey with this one. I choose to forget about the main plot. 
Mm. That's that's my main thing. You choose to forget, but you can't forget. No, 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 no. It 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 lingers like a parasite. Yep. Ah, uh, even when it's gone, you're left with the weight loss. Mm-hmm, um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode mostly sucks. The plot sucks. The characters are great. Oh yeah. So. You fill us in a little bit when you say you you forget the main plot that indicates there's another part of the episode you draw your attention to. Yes. So I like Marcus being annoying mm-hmm. to everybody all over the fucking place. But you, you like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh I like when he when he tricks them. So I like Marcus's role in the episode. But in terms of the other plot, the other plot is Ivanova investigating Corwin. Corwin has gotten a promotion. That's how... Full lieutenant! Yes, he is climbing up the ladder and they are worried about him doing so. He deserves it, but he's going to be able to stumble across some of the activities that they do and they need to counteract that, make sure if he's able to be trusted or not when it comes to their little group that is going to... Is he going to join the club or not? Is he going to join the club or is he too much of a uh, a patriot in the sense of the phrase that he is loyal to Earth to a fault? We will find out. So you hold on to that one. May I ask a a quick reason as to why and why not the main plot? Because the main plot sucks. That's it. And this plot? It fucking sucks. Uh, and this this one with Corwin doesn't? You like it? As much. Both suck. What? Um, But, like, I like getting Ivanova action and I like getting some Marcus action. If only they were in more scenes together. Yeah. I I I There's not much redeeming about this episode. Exogenesis is here, people. And if you know a little bit, I actually talked about Exogenesis a few weeks back on the Last Best Babylon 5 podcast. So for those people who have listened to that episode, you are not going to be shocked by this revelation. And if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, you will not be shocked to hear this either. This is my least favourite episode of Babylon 5. I hate this episode. I do not like it. I find it offensive. I find it dull. I find it boring. I find it reductive. It is such a misstep in the show because we are in season three. It falls it's firing, off a cliff. Yeah, it falls off a cliff. <laughs> We're firing on all cylinders and we will after this episode as well. Uh, we, we go into a triple parter that is arguably the best, like the peak of the show for many people. And we have Exogenesis just clogging up the works here. I do not like Exogenesis. I have never liked Exogenesis. I went in today wanting to like it, even though I know from a recent watch and discussion that I don't. And guess what? I still am not a fan. Now, whether I still find it to be the worst episode of the show, we'll see at the end of this discussion. And also, 
we still have many seasons ahead of us, maybe there's a, a secret episode that I've forgotten about that I hate more. But this has not been my favorite. I, I've, I've despised this in the past, and it is because of many reasons that we'll delve into, but I think one of the core reasons to it is it is such a generic sci-fi mystery plot, and it doesn't do enough within the 45 minutes to make this worth watching for me. It is, oh, parasites take over the homeless. Okay. And there just isn't enough character work. There isn't enough of that flavor of interest Babylon 5 gives off. And it is very much a self-contained one-and-done episode, which I do not have problems with. We are big fans of those. We just talked about the Brother Edward episode a couple back, and that is a great example of the night and day contrast of the writing here, where JMS can give us a self-contained episode that still ties into the series, and it is excellent. And then we have Exogenesis, which is just the opposite of that, in which it's self-contained. You could say it, uh, you could argue that it ties into things for sure, but it is nothing. It is just such static noise to me. This one. Fair. I was having a hard time keeping awake. <laughs> while watching this. The gracious Duncan, asleep by the gate. Methinks I hear a voice cry, sleep no more. Marcus does murder sleep. You're a madman, you know. <laughs> Such has been said. But it was not I that gifted you with so ominous a name as Duncan. Of course, I doubt whether you've ever read the Scottish play. So the irony is lost. Let's uh, hit things running straight away with the knowledge of how this episode was created. Do you know the knowledge of that? JMS had a fever. A fever? And he didn't cure it with more cowbell. <laughs> so instead, he had written, like, the first half of this before he got sick mm -hmm. and then wrote the ending not knowing where it was going to go. Yep. So, this is a fever dream episode. This is written by somebody who got a fever and had no clue what the fuck they were doing. And you feel it, don't you? Now, before you knew that information, because we knew that information after watching the episode uh, in the years past, but I didn't know that information for the longest time, but it did feel to me when I viewed it all those years ago as a uh, as little scenes. Like, this is a nice little scene, or this is a scene, this is a scene, but none of them connected together cohesively like all the other ones we'd been seeing. No, it, it sticks out. It sticks, it does stick out, right? Even without knowing that information about how Literally, this is cobbled together from the from the mind of a man who couldn't figure out the structure of the story he was writing because he came down with a fever. It is it is that noticeably wonky, isn't it? Yep. I just I worry that you can't unsee it as well. It's like once you know that, it's hard to unsee it. It's hard to defend it once you know that too, because. This is one of the drawbacks of JMS being the only writer on the show, is if he gets sick, if he gets tired, if he uh, has some kind of incident, 
it still all falls on him, and so there's no one to pick no up the up. there's no one to pick up the pieces or be a support network. We've had previous episodes like Quality of Mercy, in which he wrote that in a, in a in a in a certain state of mind, and you could see it in that episode too. But that episode was far stronger than this. Far more cohesive, and you can tell it was written by somebody who had a stronger idea of what the initial plot was. Here, it just comes across as the fumes of an idea. What if parasites took over the homeless of Babylon Five? Yeah. Why JMS? Why not?、Uh, why not? Yeah. There you go. Oh my god! Did JMS just enter the room? Hello. I haven't heard you in here in a while. We had Larry Dottilio recently,、uh, who would have been a writer for this type of episode as well. I, I, I think this does this does this come across as a Larry Dottilio leftover idea? Because sometimes there are those where it's like Larry Dottilio had really specific like sci-fi tropey things he liked to visit in his like in、no. knives, and this comes across as something like Larry Dottilio would do. Except for it's written in a very strangulated way. Yeah, I get that. Do you want to talk us through the Corwin plot, since that is the thing that I, I I will agree with you on is the most palatable aspect of this episode. Ah, <laughs>、uh, so we basically explained most of it already, but Corwin gets a promotion. Uh, so Sheridan asks Ivanova to check whether he's going to be allowed in their little war council club,、mm-hmm. the Army of Light stuff、yeah. thingy.、Um, oh, How much do we let him in on everything? Do we let him know about Earth? Do we let him eventually know about the shadows and everything、yes. else? Because we know at this point we have characters like Garibaldi,、uh, no, sorry, Zach and Jakar pecking away at the edges. Yes. Soon Corwin will. Because、mm-hmm. he's around too much to not notice something. Yeah.、Uh, then Ivanova asks him over. They share a cup of coffee. No, no, don't skip. Don't skip over the best part. She asks him out in a way where it comes across like she's proposing for a date. That's the, the whole thrust of this, Rachel. Don't, don't, don't misconstrue it. This isn't a normal plot where they think, "How do we deal with Corwin in the position of power that could affect what we do?" This is a sitcom plot where that is the pitch, and then, oh, wouldn't you know it? He misconstrues this as a date, and then he has to go buy roses because he thinks he's on a date with Ivanova. And we all know Ivanova; she's strict and the boss. And oh boy, she the she's that type of go getter. Oh brother, and I love that though. <laughs> I love that because Corwin is such a useless character in in the way that it is supposed to be useless. Not he is a functionless character. He has been a supporting minor character in this show since season one. He's always been there. He's always been there. We celebrated when he got a name. <laughs> he got more lines of dialogue, more of a personality. He's a little snarky guy. 
He's a little quippy. He doesn't like being the center of attention. He doesn't like being the center. Yeah, he's a little awkward. He doesn't get out much. Uh, let's rewind it even further. The episode opens up with Corwin getting a promotion. I adore that because it in turn is celebrating us, the viewer, paying attention to this character. This is a spotlight on Corwin, and in, in, in a way, it's JMS pointing to us viewers saying, you guys keep noticing him? I've noticed him too. Let's give him a promotion. And it doesn't substitute a character for Corwin. No. This isn't Star Trek Discovery, where if they did this, that would be the only thing of his character, and we are supposed to clap at just that. But... As you say, he's nervous, he doesn't like being in the centre of everything, and of course, Ivanova has to drag him in, and it brings anxiety along with it, because he misconstrues it. But even then, the uh, the the position that he would feel as a, a guy who, who is being asked by his superior officer to come talk to them is a nerve-wracking thing in general for some, someone like Corwin. And then JMS adds that little bit of magic of making it a sitcom hijinks thing that elevates it to being more of a uh, well-trodden TV plot where comedy is going to ensue, who will find out what, and how is it going to all blow up. Yep. So... He goes off to get roses. What do you think about the uh, the the flowers scene? I like the florist. I disagree because I don't find the absence of roses offensive. But you know, if I was trying to sell flowers all day, that's a line I would use. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what did you get out of Corwin's? Uh, role in the scene where he's obviously buying flowers but there's a real nervous energy yet he's obviously got a certain amount of confidence within him to think this is a date and to be bold enough to get her flowers i think he's just that awkward where he's like i don't know if this is or it isn't what do you do on dates you bring girls flowers and he's walking through the Zocalo probably anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, okay. But then the thing that I like about that scene that makes it awkward as well, he never really says yes. Mm-hmm. The florist just starts packing the flowers up, like wrapping mm-hmm. them up. Mm-hmm. And he's too flustered to say no, that's, even if he wanted to. That's That's the plot. That's the plot. The florist calls him out, though. He, he he sees him for the mark he is. You don't get out much, do you? And the actor who plays Corwin does a magnificent job in this episode. To give praise to an episode I don't like, this really leans heavy on the acting ability of Claudia Christian and, and, and Josh Cox, who... We know Claudia Christian can do this acting. We know that she can do these multiple shades of the character of Ivanova. But uh, Josh Cox, we don't know too much about his acting ability because... He hasn't been given much. He hasn't been given much. Corwin, he has to say a few lines and he's a handsome looking dude. He's a, he's a, he's a you know, he's, he's got these boyish features to him and that's all he's needed to be. I look at him and I think yuppie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I look at him like, and I he's think... He's not that 
yuppie-ish, but I just... Mm-hmm. I look at him and think of a little Lego man. That's what I look at him as. He would be in the Lego world. Uh, but he does a great job. Let's just praise some, the actor a bit through, through this plot. Because I, I do think that even for this being a comedic, uh, a, a, a comedic aside, I, I, I don't think the script is that funny. No. I, I really... It's played for laughs. But yeah. it isn't actually that funny. There's not a lot of quotable lines or moments from this or br- or scenes that stand out. It's more overall the idea is humorous and the actors are really squeezing all they can from this stone. And I think that is where it falls short for me is... On JMS's side, he he writes a lot of quips and a lot of jokes. We saw that in Voices of Authority. People are quipping left and right and making funny remarks and asides. And here in this, where you need it the most, it's really lacking, really withdrawn. It is running on the fumes of the idea of what if Corwin thought Ivanova was asking him on a date when she was actually seeing if he's anti-fascist. And it runs on just that pitch alone without writing in any of the essential uh, lines and uh, dynamics that you play around with in a sitcom. It's flat. Yeah. It's flat, but... We enjoy it still. Because of the performances. And because the other side of the story is far more unpleasant, uh, far more uh, lower end. So this seems much better by comparison. Yeah, Yeah, I do feel much less strongly about this episode than you do. And... We're obviously, unfortunately, going to start talking about the Marcus stuff. (laughs) Uh, But I feel like for you, it gets worse each rewatch. Oh. (laughs) Like, each time we're, like, cruising along in season three, and Mm -hmm. then it's like, exogenesis! Exogenesis! It it just just hits you in the gut. Because we're on such a roll. We're, we are. We're we on are. such a... We haven't had a bad episode but since Knives. I find it easier to swallow each time because I just let it wash over me. Like, I know exact... I know the beats of exogenesis and I'm just like, yep, just mm-hmm. keep mm-hmm. on going, keep on going. There's this little saving grace, this little glimmer of hope here. I really like the way that Franklin and Marcus play off each other, mm. as well as Garibaldi and Marcus. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. This is really an episode held up by the charisma and uh, energies of the performers. It relies this. on the good work that JMS has done beforehand. And yeah, the good work that he has done before, the the goodwill he's earned from us as viewers, and the talent of the actors reading this stuff. Because in other hands, even if the goodwill we've earned from JMS was here, in other hands, in other people's mouths, this would be an intolerable episode. Uh, With Corwin, though, he fails the test. 
And he's, uh, he's too patriotic. He's too naive. He's like so many characters Were in the you show fucking where... around last episode or so when like, you know, it's like these Senate hearings are happening. Yeah. We have proof that he murdered the president. Right. Like, you're not concerned about that at all? Well, Corwin still believes in the chain of command, and we know that the Senate hearings are happening for the president, so you can still believe in the chain of command unless you're far more knowledgeable and far more observant of the corruption around you. But people like Corwin, people like Zach Allen, uh, have been oblivious to that. Zach is waking up, he's seeing it, he's smelling the roses... Uh, but Corwin hasn't had to. He's just been there. He's seen horrible things. He saw the assassination of the president, like with everybody else. He He's seen the news as well. But he is the young, naive guy who's just got promoted. So things must be going well. There's something about that that I like, which is they don't shame Corwin for that. No, it's... it's he's not it's, evil. No. He is just naive and ignorant Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like now is not the time to bring Corwin in Mm. Mm. he hasn't uh he hasn't woken up from the matrix uh to 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 take the joke aside for a second though I, I I I appreciate so much that we are taking this angle even for a brief moment in a rather lackluster episode when it comes to the uprising fascism of Earth, that there are those people who are just living their lives. They may have seen the news, but they just don't think about the extent of how it reaches out to them. Because we, we all had that. We live in a we live in a world where there's so many things going on, and you are just you just plodding your life along. You know, going to the shops and living. You know, doing your job and everything. And there are some things that are happening that you put your head in the sand about because well, I can't change that, or it will work itself out. Or if I believe in the system and the authority, it will all be fine. And that's cool. I can't care about everything. And 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 it's not as Corwin's uh, apathetic or cynical. He's just no. I'm an officer in Earth Force because I believe in it, and uh, things are working out. I just got a promotion, and uh, follow the rules. Everything will be fine because surely other people wouldn't be breaking the rules in a way that would harm Earth, right? And that's it. That's Corwin's plot. The funniest thing is Ivanova's reaction to the roses. Do you do you have any comments on that? Uh it works. It works. It it still is frustrating that he's that fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Um but I like it. It's fun. It's very writerly. Yeah. Roses? Mm. Who the hell would buy me roses? I love them. They're so romantic. But who would spend the money on them? But I do like roses. And that's been set up. Ivanova has a weakness for roses. That was in. Mm? Rachel, you want to say it? Do you remember the episode? The Love of Roses featured in in season one? 
was a stupid fucking ex-boyfriend, right? The war prayer. The Australian gave her roses and it almost tempted swooed her. And when she found out the horrible truth, she threw the roses in the bin and was the attitude of never again. But... Bonneva gets roses and throws them... At Marcus at the at end. Marcus. Because she, she doesn't get miscon- to keep those synthetic roses. I, I did like the uh the touch, the the direction of uh when Corwin is kicked out of her quarters, she takes his cup of coffee that he's only ta- like had one or two sips out of, and you can see Josh Cox acting there of him being like, Oh, it's just oh, I wanted more of that. But he like, can't say it out oh. loud, so he has to accept it and go, Oh, of course, good night and like, yeah, you've, on his way. you've given me a little bit of this thing that I haven't had in for fucking ever, and I clearly like, and now you're like, nope. Bye-bye. You you didn't answer the question well enough. Off you go. And we get the conclusion of the episode uh, tying back to this in which all of this stuff happened in the A-plot with Marcus. Franklin is laying the groundwork for the Ivanova and Marcus relationship. And with him saying that, Ivanova, oh, silly old Ivanova, she doesn't understand that Corwin was the one that got a rose. She misunderstands. A comedy of errors happens here, which is which is actually quite nice because uh, we had references to Shakespeare here, and this is all Shakespearean-like comedy. Oh, oh boy, she thought Marcus gave her the roses. And then a bunch of military drums plays as she walks down Babylon 5 and throws the roses at him as he's just eating some liquid. Something. Gruel. He's British. It's gruel. <laughs> and, uh, can I have some more? And, and he obviously not having given her the roses misunderstands. Oh my God, it's a comedy of errors yet again. He thinks, wow. What I'm doing is really working. I adore Jason Carter's acting there. He sniffs the roses as the credits start to fade in. I I, I really, really like that. Sweet. Again, the positives of this episode for me come down to the fumes of ideas and those actors really, really doing solid work to make it happen. People... Thank you. I will. Well, I guess it's hope for us after all. Let's pull the trigger on it. Parasites take over the homeless of Babylon 5. <laughs> they bring a cargo <sighs> ship with their parasites on it, I guess. And there's this Sean Connery voice over over the computer system saying, Yeah, stock it in there. You know it's a, going to be a bad episode of a show when the opening is minute-long sequence of, of a ship docking in. Yeah. Oh, exhilarating to watch. What a it great way. It sets expectations. And it's just a bunch of freaks. Uh, we talk about this a lot when we look at episodes of Star Trek. Uh, on our Patreon, where you know an episode's going to be bad when when you see a certain thing in it. Oh, look, it's the Space Irish. Oh, look, they're on the cave set again. Oh, look, this goofy guest star has a fake goatee glued to their face. Or, oh, the plot is about, you know, 
parasites taking over the homeless. <laughs> and you just know it's going to be crap. And I had that here when we meet these two freaks looking at the CGI ship and saying, They're here. <laughs> and the music swells with evil music. And you just know it's going to be fucking garbage. You just know. You just know. Yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, it doesn't lead you on. It doesn't. No. <laughs> well, the plot does lead you on. No, no, no. It doesn't give you a false the impression. The quality that, doesn't that, lead you yes. on. The quality doesn't lead you on. Now, I'm I'm talking a lot here. Rachel, please take the no, wheel. Take the to. wheel. Take the wheel, Rachel. Take this parasite. Give it to Jesus instead. Jesus isn't here, Rachel. He died. And he died for our sins for you to take the wheel and talk to me about the parasites taking over the homeless because evidently I hate it. I think it's stupid. I think it's a boring plot, but you're a bit more forgiving of it. And uh, I'd like to hear more from you about these parasitic beings. Do I have to? Can we just not like, you know, like other shows get to skip believers. Oh, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so we are introduced to this alien species that's like half a millennia old. Mm. We get that information at the end. Yep. Uh, because this story doesn't know where the fuck it's going or what the fuck it's doing. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a mystery so, plot. Yeah. Uh, they pull some answers out of their ass at the end. Um, so we have I can't, can't remember what their name is. Starts with a V, I think. Vindrizi. Vindrizi. Not to get um, not to get it confused with the Drazi. No. The Vindrizi. The Drazi are having a blood shortage though, <sighs> so they have to rely on the synthetic stuff. Because we, we get... Wait, 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 synthetic. Roses? Oh, brother, how can Drazi survive with synthetic roses? They're so expensive, yet so romantic. Yeah. Um. So, we after we get that hard comedy cut mm. start, uh, we later on get a little bit of a, a meeting... The bureaucracy of Babylon 5, they're having their morning briefing. The doctors. With uh, the medbay staff from mm. across all of the medbays. And they've discovered the body of the dude that died. Yeah, and they list off a few. Oh, Centauri died because they had a separation of the hearts, which mm-hmm. is a nice little detail because later on we'll find out Nothing they have two we hearts. Do. Yeah, it's just, you know, started to deteriorate over time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then I'm really trying to talk about. We it. found a, a lurker. We haven't figured yep. out the cause of death. Um, oh, I'll they look into it. They don't just say we need to do an autopsy. Like, send him up to Medbay. I'll take a look into it. And then, it, like, Franklin's surprised when he has to do an autopsy. And it's like, isn't this just what you do when you don't have a clear. Oh, I got the assumption. Death? I got the. Uh, I I I took it as 
they've just got the body and they haven't found the cause yet. And Franklin says, well, I'll have a look. And then he realizes he needs to have a, a proper look look. Yeah. It isn't an easy answer. Yes. Um, and all of the Franklin scenes are intensely boring because whatever the fever did to JMS's brain made him forget that Franklin had a character. Because everything comes back to biology or math. They make him, oh, he's the doctor. That's all his character is for a large swath of the episode until nearing the end of it with him and Marcus. Jameis forgot that Franklin had other, has other things to his character. So a lot of scenes, just to skip through some things, a lot of scenes are just of Franklin doing medical exposition with no 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 dressing no to flair. it. It's just no flair, no nothing. It is just Oh uh, yes, so there's mm. things in the hands because of shock probably. And oh well, what's this wrapped around the spinal column? And huh, who are you? I'll put you in a little container. And it's just Many scenes it feels like of a character just, I am doctor, I'm doing doctor thing. Ooh, a medical mystery. But it's not that mysterious. It's just like, oh yeah, they have a weird bug in them. Now the doctor's learning about it. But it's not as if he, as the doctor, with his specific set of skills, learns anything specific about this mystery before we are told it by the people who are the mystery. We just get told, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a parasite taking over the homeless. We got that from the fact that we have creepy people and we see them putting bugs in other people. We've seen movies before. I've seen the body snatchers. I've seen the thing. I've seen these. So I, as a viewer, can put it together. So there's no thrill in watching Franklin go on this medical mystery because he doesn't solve it. He doesn't give any uh, real surprising twists and turns in the journey along the way, he just eventually gets told it by the people because he was there to ask the question. That is why I just had to pull up the fact that the Franklin scenes, although he's a good character, are in a, 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 a snooze fest because he isn't really helping us gain new information. He's just confirming information for himself, which isn't invalid as a story method. We've seen that be very well done before. But since this is such a uh, well-trodden road of science fiction and horror, we, the audience, already go, well, it's parasites, they're taking over the homeless, they're evil. The twist to it is, oh, the parasites aren't evil, they're actually good parasites, they're symbiotes, and they're helping the homeless. That's an interesting twist, but that twist is at the end and it's one of those ones where when you look back at the episode and when you're revisiting it when you agree Rachel it doesn't really hold that much water because they're acting overtly sinister for no reason other than red herring mystery stuff yeah it, it, no it doesn't work uh just like the way that Ivanova asks Colin out doesn't work on the rewatch because you're like, no, I don't, I, I don't like asking to the quarters. Yes. But the way that she asks him is not romantic or datey at all. I disagree. I don't, I disagree. As, as a guy, I read it the way Corwin, like, no, I don't read it the way Corwin does. I understand why Corwin reads it the way he does. I, I get I do, it, but I I'm do. like, 
No. Mm-hmm. I no. I I I. I it's as no. simple as a pretty face gives him an invitation and he buys it, and it's as simple as that. And it can be as simple as that, Rachel. Uh, and that's why it's a tried and true method for sitcoms. It works, but this it doesn't work because when you do rewatch it, it's it's a fake. It's fake. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't hold together because. You ask all these questions of, well, if they're actually good guys, why don't they communicate like this? Or why don't they talk like this? Why are they acting like this? And if these are people, these are parasites that have gained the experience and knowledge of life throughout, how long was it? Half a millennium or whatever? You would expect them to understand what it is to come across as socially acceptable. Yes. Uh, I would feel differently if they did a more explicit link to the shadows and them being afraid of being captured by the shadows. And that's why they're being dodgy. But they know rangers are against the shadows because they capture people who are working for the rangers. So there'll be no reason to be shady against Marcus. No, there wouldn't be. If if that's a method you want to go down, you would then have to counter it with something in the script. But JMS didn't do that because he couldn't remember what he was doing. That's what it comes down to is a lot of the frustrations I have with the actual parasite plot will come down to, well, JMS just literally didn't know what he was doing. He had no clue where he was going with this and had to get something in on time. And that's the nature of the beast of entertainment. That's the nature of the beast of how it works. Sometimes the failures of television comes to that. I've noticed a trend a lot lately of we blame the showrunners and the writers for the problems and faults of the show. Back in the day, like with season two of Babylon 5, there was a little bit more leeway given to the writers themselves, and I would always hear more talk of producers and networks being the people... Network interference. Network interference or producer interference. Rick Berman wouldn't let Voyager do this, or on and on it goes. But I feel there has been a major shift nowadays to put the blame more so on the showrunner and writer rather than these other It doesn't go up the line as far. And we do this with Babylon 5, where we talk about how the network and producing in the past has been a thing that has affected the show. Directors like Richard Compton, and we praise it for the fact that JMS eventually gets to take full control of the show and get to do whatever he wants, but there is restrictions and limitations and drawbacks to that and this is one of those where because there was no one else you get episodes that are thin 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 flimsy and you can't help but just blame jms and it's like well poor jms he had a fever he couldn't remember what he was doing (laughs) yeah i can see (laughs) i can see it on the screen I am, was Duncan. The other part of me is Vindrizi. Part of me that was Duncan remembers that you were kind to me, Marcus. I don't want to hurt you. 
part of me that is Vendrizi says that we will hurt you if necessary. We cannot allow you to interfere. Interfere? In what? It says you would not understand. Can we talk about when Marcus finds the guy that's missing? His contact in the down below of Babylon 5 that's missing, was it Samuel? Yep. Samuel. That scene mm-hmm. where he walks up to them and they're just ominously standing in a hallway whispering sinisterly and or just standing there silently with the, their arms spread out. Sort of in a row. What were they doing? What were they doing? Tell me what they were doing. Before Marcus got there, what were they up to? Or is this just one of those scenes where it's like it makes sense in a TV show because you aren't supposed to think about it. It's supposed to be a you creepy are, scene. You aren't meant to think about it. You also aren't meant to think about the fact that they would definitely hear him when he starts bitching about them after he takes two fucking steps. Uh, that is just either poor direction or writing. I, I have to put it down to direction there. You would expect maybe he walks even further. It's one of those things where it doesn't... It's like they didn't want to have to set up another camera angle. So he took two steps <laughs> and said out loud that they suck. Like, they, they could have had them walking off in the other direction. Because they were in a fucking hallway. And again, and again, you don't want to do more than one shot. But if he went around a corner and we cut to him walking around the corner and he said it, you give more leeway to that. Even though in reality it still would be heard, you give more leeway for dramatic convenience. But you see the camera pan over to the left for two seconds. Marcus takes two steps and says out loud. And why it sticks out is the whole scene is what, Rachel? The scene that plays out before he starts bitching about them. What is the scene? Him bitching to their face. But not directly. He's playing it cool, playing it to the vest, yeah. playing it smooth. He knows there's something wrong. He's probing them, isn't he? Yeah. And they're being coy and weird and ominous and spooky. Oh, I found a bigger purpose than you, Marcus. Yes, leave us alone. We have work to do, Mr. Marcus. And Marcus is talking to them in that stiff upper lip. Ah, I'm noticing that there's something wrong here, but I I, I can't sweat it in front of them because if I show that I'm uncomfortable with this, they could get me right here and now. He plays it like that. That's how the scene is written. That's how it's directed. That's how it's acted. So it completely undercuts it when he takes two steps and says out loud, I don't like this. I don't like this a lot. Subtle, subtle. Oh, another aspect. You know how you love how Marcus doesn't shut the fuck up? That's why you married somebody who doesn't shut the fuck up. Is I had a moment of suspension of disbelief just Mm -hmm. being cut entirely off when I realized, hey, the Rangers are supposed to be the secret thing still. Yeah, People don't know about them. Is it weird that in one of the marketplaces there's a guy dressed in full Ranger garb screaming at the top of his lungs to Garibaldi about how he works for the Rangers and his contacts and secrecy in front of a fucking crowd of people buying fruit. Doesn't that, isn't that weird? Does he say? Yeah, he's just like, he's asking Garibaldi to help him because his contacts and he needs them for these reasons. And 
Like it's not I, secretive how he's doing no, it. No, 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 no. It's not, but I'm like, I don't know if he specifically says who he works for. But it's still But it's just like that's a shred of an excuse. It's a shreddy shredder of an excuse though. But people it is... accost Garibaldi all of the time. Oh God. I guess people don't care. Fucking Garibaldi <laughs> gets to far- fondle an orange, so <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm it's laughing. Not Sheridan. I'm laughing. Garibaldi uh, that gets the orange action. This he does. Episode. He gets to sniff an orange. Mm-hmm. I'm he laughing. Looks like he wants to peg it at Marcus, and I'm like, yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm breaking. Then take him to the batting cages. Oh, where they can play baseball. You can teach Marcus. In the Marcus. full fucking baseball field on Babylon 5. Like, that should have made a reappearance in this episode, Oh, right? and, and Jinxo should have been pitching while we're there. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm... no, no. Uh, Jinxo is off living his best life. Finding the grail. Finding the grail. I'm, way I'm... off station. Eventually he's going to meet up with Duncan. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and, uh, oh, oh, Elisa Belden. They'll all meet up <laughs> go on a merry adventure of losers. And- you realise that the Grail is on Minbar. <gasps> the Grail is Jeffrey Sinclair, and they have to steal their own station and go back in time to get it. But it's <laughs> it looks like a 1950s diner, and they're the three. <gasps> We've solved it. We solved it. <laughs> That's it. Duncan, Elisa Belden, and Jigsaw, the three most this useless characters. This episode now is a yum yum. This episode's fucking masterful. I went breaking down because I'm I I I don't even know how to talk about the parasite plot. Okay. Other than so, other than to say it is a mislead. Yeah. You are supposed to believe these are sinister bugs that are and taking on. on. Treating it one way and then it does a switcheroo that is not earned in any way and it's just worse every time you rewatch it because you're like, there really is no duality here to read into this. They're just upfront evil and then say that they're being consensual and Duncan has to give up his dream to convince Marcus that it is consensual and to let them do this. And we wrap it up very quickly with Franklin saying, you've got to follow my rules. Oh, yeah, yeah. They just have a, a whole negotiation in one second. It's fucking done. Yeah, whatever. Uh, we've spent and we'll never hear about these people again. organizing this, but... Yeah, we'll, we, we'll we just, will yeah, never, yeah, we'll never whatever. discuss this again. No, it's gone. Bye bye. Duncan says, "I'll return one. Hopefully, I'll see you again one day." No, no. that's how you know they're never coming back when yeah. they say shit like that. But but but, but he, he is gone. He could have said, "Watch your back, uh, Garibaldi." Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We, we the other. It's actually four, isn't it? Because once you have Walker Smith in there. You can't leave Walker Smith out of their merry well, band. No, that no. should have been what Crusade was. No, but which one of I I, I Jinx? I, I mean, uh, I think the Walker, three plus Zathras. Well, we need a Zathras figure. Walker came first before any of them, so he has to be in the pack of losers. 
He's the first one we met yeah. out of the these people we've listed. But there is that thing where the reveal is they're actually good, and you could make this work, but again, the build-up to it doesn't add up, especially when you're looking back at it, because they are acting sinister, sinister, sinister for the sake of From sinister. From the drop. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very dull. I don't mind the idea of a purely genetic neutral mm-hmm. organism and the CGA design. The 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 puppet was hilarious. Oh, the puppet was great. Especially when Duncan oh, got, like, shat it out and handed it to a guy. <laughs> love a puppet. Love a puppet. Love a disgusting. Slimy. Slimy as fuck puppet here. In the 90s, there was a big demand for centipede puppets. Yeah. This and Voyager had a specifically uh, memorable one to me where Belana Torres got a big bug on her. And it's actually a really good episode, but the bug thing is stupid to look at. Yeah. It's actually a really it, decent episode yeah. of Voyager, but they just got this stupid bug. And this is a bad so, episode of Babylon 5 with some stupid bugs. But Is there anything else to say about the main plot? Well, yes, yes, yes. The whole thing is... Do you have to, though? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rachel wants to leave. Don't you ever shut up? Not until I get what I want. Why? Do you think silent meditation would work better? Ivanova's right. You are a pain in the ass. There's more to say, which is, one, they are good guys and they're nice friends who are looking at society because they have information. Interesting. It's like, oh, we we saw pretty things. At least give us something that's useful for the fucking war. No, they can't. That's the whole point. They're like the techno mages. They're leaving. They're hiding away because if the information goes into anyone's hands, it could be bad. Or information is power, and they're the first up against the wall. I. I. I just gotta say. Well, then say that you're going beyond the rim. No. Because we might bring them back one day, but we know they won't. No! No! Rachel says, you were a fan of this episode more than me, and now you're the one ripping your hair out, not wanting to talk about it, because guess what? It's just boring, boring, yes, boring. I let it wash over me, and now you're making me actually think about it, and I don't want to think about it because it's bad. Yeah, it's one where you're not supposed to think about it too hard. Not. Which is unfortunate because Babylon 5 has made us think about things very much so. So yes, you have an episode that's telling you... it's rewarding of that. And now you have an episode telling you to shut your brain off and accept it at face value. It's hard to do that because the show has trained me otherwise at this point. If this was season one, episode seven, sure. I would be more forgiving. I still wouldn't have liked it. But I would go, oh, Ask well. Forgive survivors more than this. Hmm. Mm, or yeah. infection. Mm. infection. Oh, yes, infection I forgive comparison. way more. Because that at least still involves a heavy amount of character stuff, but yeah. even then it still sucks. I, They reveal that they're good, they're collecting information, and they're these ancient beings, yes. and it ties back in, you could argue, with... In the future... I'm, I'm struggling because I, I just want to pay lip service to the fact that 
the way that they speak is reminiscent of when people get a keeper and keepers are parasites too. And yeah, they say I and them and so on and so they say, but I it, used to be. It's not one of those where you watch and go, oh yay, they're saying the thing that the keepers were saying. Like, it doesn't work because it doesn't hold the same dramatic weight that the keepers do. Nope. So. It is just a thing that I go, oh, yes, JMS just happened to use the same wording when describing people possessed by a bug. Cool. It's just, it's just not that fulfilling. It's just not that substantive. And they leave and you go, well, that was a weird thing that happened today. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, 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 the, the, the takeaway that people have for this is Marcus and Franklin's relationship. Yeah. Because, again, to give positives to this stinky side of the episode and the stinker of an episode, the actors, Jason Carter and Richard Biggs, had amazing chemistry. They were fun to watch. The characters' writing could have been more so the actors were bouncing off each other more than the lines of dialogue were. I feel like at least some of it was improv. Oh, I don't I, think so. I, He's pretty strict with those lines, that JMS. But why is that the case where here... Oh, okay, well, well, I won't speak for you, but um, for myself, even with Mar- like Corwin stuff, the Marcus and Franklin... Uh, things here are just bare bones in the script, but the acting is bringing it up more so. Yeah, it brings it to life. Is that how it is for you? Yeah. How do these actors manage to do it? And do they pull it off where you accept it more than you should? Yeah. I do accept it more than I should. Like, I genuinely enjoy the scene where Franklin's like, what are we going to do, Marcus? And he's like, Vonova, you think I got a shot there? <laughs> and Can I tap that? And Franklin's bewilderment. You, you are not her type. I can't believe we're talking about this and just laughing about the absurdity you of it You are all. so far from being her type. You are in another galaxy. And you're another gender. I, <laughs> I think he's a lie that Franklin has. Um, I'm kidding. She's bi, guys. Uh, uh, bisexual Russian... Uh, Commander of Oliver. Um she just doesn't like guys with facial hair. That's what Franklin's saying. She likes some um, blonde haired with ugly sweaters and Australian. Yay! Yay! Representation for us. Awesome. It's the strength of these two. That's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Because even then, the quippy things between them are only a shadow of what they will be in the future. And that's something I want to ask you too. Is this improved upon for you, or does it look different to you because you know these two will have so much more fun in the future? It's just like JMS saw this and was like, oh, I can play with that more. 
Mm. And I, I don't think we would have gotten the Mars storyline with Marcus and Franklin without this. God, no. I, I doubt it. And the chemistry is off the charts between these two guys where Marcus is the over-the-top character who wants to get into action, run into the room. Franklin is the straight man, the straight-laced guy who's got more sensible head on his shoulders, but he's oblivious and kind of unaware and doesn't know what to do himself in these. So he ta- he follows Marcus's lead whilst also totting about it. And that is, again, tried and true comedy. Yes. Just wish there was more of the dialogue giving us more, the the interactions being stronger. And guess what? We do get more. JMS sees the shining light of this darkness and takes it and amplifies it into a whole series blooms. of scenes in the future of this series. If there is any reason I tell you to watch Exogenesis, it is to see the forming relationship between Marcus and Franklin. That's the only real reason I would give you. Not even the Corwin stuff. The only legitimate thing I would say is worth watching the episode for is seeing this blossom into something. Seeing it take seeing it be seeded and it will be something that will grow over the course of the show. And this is the beginning of that. But even then... It's it's still not worth the watch in my point of view. No. Uh, I say watch every episode, of course. I mean. Yeah, recently we looked at a list that somebody made a long, long time ago, actually. And it has ratings of each episode of B5 uh, according to, like, kind of how good and how Skippable they are. Yeah. How important or not important they are. It's got like a three out of five, I think, or something. Yeah, it was more than you were like, no. No, no. no. I'd rather watch TKO than this. Yep. TKO's Um, funny mm -hmm. in how bad it is. This is embarrassing. Did you feel embarrassed at all? Or were you just too busy letting it wash over you to feel that? Yeah, I didn't feel anything watching this episode. No? No. Numbness? Mm-hmm. As we talk about it, you're feeling stuff. Anger, frustration, tedium. Towards the discussion? Because uh, I'm like, you are trying to get blood from a stone to have... A back and forth. This yeah. is the worst type of episode where we could talk so much Apathetic. about a show and you just look at this one and you go, oh, yeah... Parasite <laughs> worse than hate. Again, parasites mm. take over the homeless is how you boil this down. Instead of listening to us talk about this for over an hour, you just can hear me say it's about parasites taking over the homeless. Skip to our next episode. Because it is as, as boilerplate as that. Uh, I, so now, now we are done talking about the episode. I'm declaring it. I don't fucking care what you say. We're moving on to the spotlight. No. Not the film. Ryan, you don't get to make that joke fucking again. Rachel got to make it. What's the joke? That we that we love the film Spotlight. Is that a joke? Fuck you! 
Fuck you. This section of the podcast, this section of the podcast. Everybody everybody loves Spotlight. This section of the podcast is where we shine a light on a particularly guest performer in this episode of Babylon 5. And this episode, we are focusing in on the actor of Duncan, played by Aubrey Morris, who does a fine job with the shit that he is given. Oh, I think he's terrible. I think he's fucking awful. I'm sorry to say it. I like this actor. I've seen him in a bunch of things. I thought he was he... god awful. Oh, I don't. I, I think I, this I... could have been worse. I think this could have been worse well, in somebody well, else's hands. Well, yeah, if you get someone like Jinxo to play it, who's a fresh first-time experience in the industry, sure. This is a seasoned character actor. British. I, I feel like he's pretty consistent. Yeah. It's consistent. And bad, but it's consistent. I think he sucks. I I can't separate if it's the actor or the character. I'm gonna say it's the character because the character's non-existent. He gets one real scene with Marcus to establish that they have this long-time friendship, and I was like, oh, <sighs> really convenient. And you skip you skipped over points in our discussion because you want to get to the end, and I understand. But a large frustration Don't drag for me, me back. A large frustration for me in the episode with this relationship and with Marcus is. Marcus is too annoying for me. I I know he's annoying as a character. I like him. You like him. But would you agree or disagree? He's just too much of the writer having a wank. Because when him and Duncan start (sighs) talking about fucking... Shakespeare and the Scottish play and you don't read books and I read books and your weary eyes. I was thinking to myself, what am I watching right now? I felt like I really tuned into a different thing where I was watching some Shakespearean crap and not like real Shakespeare, but just someone talking. I I, I got so angry with the Duncan character as we went along, but when they first mm. met him, I just looked at him and went, oh, he's the character that exists to make Marcus look noble because Marcus is friends with a homeless man and that makes Marcus seem like a better person because yeah. he's the only person that we know to actually befriend the lurkers rather than, say, give them medical treatment like Franklin or arrest them like Garibaldi or just not interact with them like all the other characters. And I thought it was too manipulative. The actor is there to be the role. And the role is there to be a prop for the Marcus character. That's why I don't like his performance. You're right. He's a seasoned character actor. He's shakes you know, he's he's uh he's he's uh, rather trained, he's 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 distinguished, he's been in a multitude of things that JMS grew up with, evidently, and he worked with Patrick McGowan a lot. But to me, I can't see past his performance for what the character is, which is a weak form of manipulation of us the audience to like Marcus more. You did what you did. Because you care. Got nothing to do with you and everything. Everything to do with me. Maybe it was good. Maybe we we all need to wake up. Become special. This man uh, who, who's his real first name is Aubrey. He, uh, yes. he changed his last name. I noticed that. Yeah. I wonder why. Well, see, he was born in 1926, 
and I don't know if he actually has this heritage, but his original last name sounded Jewish. So, or was it Steinberg or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that would be my guess. Um, I can see, I can see that being a like, possibility for the Times and yeah. in England. I don't think you having a last name like that would necessarily launch you as no. well off if if you had something like what he had in yeah. later life. So he, stage names are weird things yeah, as well. They're, they're, people do them for all different reasons, but like that yeah. would be my guess. So his first credit was Fly Away Peter in 1948 when he was 22. Okay. Uh, we The two things that he gets listed as being in a lot, mm. like obviously since he died in 2015, mm. A lot of the things that came up when I was looking him up were his obituaries, and it's like actor in A Clockwork Orange and The Wicker Man. He was great in those. He was his uh, in A Clockwork Orange deltoid. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to remember what his role is. I, I he's he, I think he's he's probation officer mm-hmm. or something along. He's the one that's fondling him. Mm-hmm. He's that really kind of creepy guy, and you can see it breaking through here when he's possessed by the parasite that he has these really bug he had these really buggy out eyes and these uh baby like pudgy cheeks yeah. that make and this cracked smile that made him such a standout guy visually where in a clockwork orange he's he's so physically intense and because of how awkward and and, and 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 gross he is, and the way um, he speaks, that accent and uh, that voice gross, of gross, gross. gross man, and the Wicker Man. He's one of the many townspeople who is there the cheering along, slash grave yeah, digger. cheering along as they do horrible things to you know our main guy. And he was in a slew of things. He was in so much stuff. British, obviously, ripping uh, yarns is mm, one that I noted down. If you haven't watched Michael Palin's ripping yarns. Do yourself the pleasure and give some of that a watch. It's a very good show, and he was in a, a, a particularly good episode Curse of it. Curse of the Claw. That's a good episode. That's a good episode. So give it a watch. It's, it's a decent one. He was in uh, the some Patrick McGowan stuff, which we know JMS is a huge fan of. Yeah. He was also in two episodes of Murder, She Wrote, but mm-hmm. it was from season two and season six. Different seasons of uh, the show than what JMS worked on, but we know that they the casting people like to bring those actors along for B five. He also was on the show that Bruce Boxleitner was in before this. Uh, um, I'm forgetting the name of it. Scarecrow. It's got Scarecrow in the title. Mister and Mister Scarecrow. I can't remember it, but it was a show Bruce was on before this, and. He was in, like I said, Patrick McGoon, he was in The Prisoner, which is a big deal. And he was in uh, Secret Agent, which is yes. also something that JMS is a big Almost fan of. Almost exclusively a TV J- actor. JMS is a big fan of The Wicker Man, I know this, and he's a big fan of Patrick McGoon's things. So mm-hmm. seeing somebody like Aubrey growing up, you would want him to be something you make one day because he's one of those faces you don't forget, one of those voices, one of those presents you don't forget. Hence, it really hurts all the more that, like with uh, some actors that have been on in Babylon 5 in the past, they are forgettable, even though they are great character actors, because they don't utilize them well. Is it just me typecasting him? Is it just me, people? Let me know. 
I just wish he was a, a creep villain full out <laughs> instead of like this lovable homeless man that I'm supposed to feel empathy for, yet they haven't earned it. If he was just the creep that I've seen him play for most of his career, I I I I may have liked it more, but maybe that's maybe. me pigeonholing him. Um, did you take note of anything else that he was in? He was in Deadwood for a few episodes. I did note that down uh, in the third season. He was in like three or four episodes. Uh, yeah, he had a long, lengthy yeah. career, so I can't remember them all. I've like listed off the ones that I noted down mentally. Anything else standing out? That Columbo. I've... Oh, yes! He was in an episode of the 90s Columbo. Yeah, season 13 of Columbo. After this episode. Yeah. It was a 1998 episode yeah. of Columbo, so one of the last ones, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... Another thing that it I, I just find fun because it has my name in it. He was in the Rachel papers. What papers do you have, Rachel? Lots. You're a teacher. What papers are you working on right now? Too many. I have year 11 sacks to mark currently. You have year 11 sacks to mark? School assessed coursework. Hear that, everybody? Don't have a dirty mind and think that she has a lot of year 11 sacks to work. She has... School assessments. Assessed coursework. Coursework to do. Where's the W in that? Sack. Oh, you said sack work, so there you uh, go. Yeah. Sack. 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 As Dr. Zibberman. What a way to end it. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has the has that as a thing of, oh, we're the end of the career of this acclaimed British character actor. What a what. I mean, they also had uh, William Morgan Shepard on as well in one of the final things he did. So... It's Always Sunny, just full of those great British character actors. I need to catch up with It's Always Sunny. It's been a little while. Uh, But that is it. It is done. There's plenty more we could discuss, but overall, this one is uh, Stinky Poo Poo. Let's flush the yum down. Uh, Our rating scale, yum bad, yum yum good, you're giving it? Yum. That's I said, flush the yum down. Yum. I am giving it a yum. Yum. Is this the worst episode? Oh, it's it's down there. It, it it's it's down there. What's beating it out? Is it the long dark still? Yeah. I think the long dark yeah. does more damage to the character that it's focusing on yeah. rather than this one. This one is just like, like it, it's it, a miss. It does it does Franklin very dirty. I also have a particular hatred for survivors. Mm. Mm. Just because it's, uh, it just, it has stuff, but it does it all so badly. I think that the long dark is irresponsible. In comparison to this one, it yeah. does things to the character of Franklin it shouldn't have done, and it never really does do again, but 
since it is there, you can't forget about it in a weird way. No, and but... this, wait, wait, this here, this here though, is still my least favorite episode we've watched thus far. I was bored and I got offended at the same time. I really do get upset when pieces of media uses the disenfranchised as a springboard to make us empathize with a main character rather than letting them be people. Oh, see, our main character is good because they have a black friend or a poor friend or a a woman friend or an elderly friend or little kid friend. I hate when they do that and they don't make these people, these others, these lesser thans than the main character actual human beings with interiority and autonomy and free will. And we've seen Babylon 5 be able to do that in the past. And so it really stings when it does it here because the lurkers have been a presence in Babylon 5 since the beginning and all the way to the end. And if I had to give a scathing critique of Babylon 5 when it comes to how it tackles social themes or issues or societal problems... The lurkers are always a failure to me when it comes to Babylon 5. I like the idea of them. I like the commentary it makes. But the show itself never grapples with them in a way that I would think, that I would say is well done or intelligent. The lurkers always exist to be victims, to be killed, to be people who give information to the main characters. I'm not saying I want a lurker as a main character in the show, but I do believe that, and this is something a reboot could do, the lurkers needed to be made more understandable and human instead of a faceless thing because that's how we look at the homeless in real life we know they exist we we feel sadness for them but a lot of us just push them away to the side and push them away from our mind because it upsets us because we don't know how to solve that problem and we don't want to get involved in that problem you walk past a homeless person you don't give them change because you don't want to interact with it sometimes that problem that issue that person that's sitting right there and babylon 5 is doing that as a show where it Pointing that this still happens is a thing that I commend it for greatly. I really do, but I think it needed to do more with it. This is the one episode that gets the closest to it, and they still forgot to make any of the lurkers likable human beings that I can understand their faults and why they needed to turn to these things for relief. They didn't bother focusing on that. It is an absolute failure to me. Almost no redeeming values. We've heard me talk about positives, as did you, but I, I, even discussing this was grind, I was grinding, grinding my teeth doing so. This is Babylon 5. People think season 5 has bad episodes because Byron exists. I, I can't wait to get into season 5 and see if there's ones that I think stink more than this, but I, I, and people, Grade 17 is missing. I can't wait to talk. I can't. I can't wait to talk about Grey's Seventeen is missing or the King Arthur episode. Well, if we're talking I about, I can't the- wait to talk about messages from Earth. Is that what we're watching next week? On an all new Babylon Five. Yes, which is episode eight of season three. And the DVD description is the secret alliance initiated by Sheridan is already enough to bring charges of treason. Now. 
the captain ups the ante by setting out to destroy a recently discovered shadow vessel before it becomes fully operational. Exciting. Exciting. I, wow, I can't wait to drink that nice cool glass of water after being in the desert of this 45-minute-long episode, Exogenesis. That is all we have got for you. That is it. Wait, wait, wait. Who would have said yum yum in the episode? There's actually quite a few people. Matthew. 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 Which one was Matthew? We met a lot of strange people in this episode. That Matthew was the one with the beard? Yeah, I think he did. He was more, like the main dude. Like the first guy and the first chick that yeah, we see. Yeah, uh, Matthew Him. with the beard. Duffin. Yeah. Why? Because he's evil. So you have to be evil to say yum yum now. No, I, I just feel like his brand of evil... He could have slipped in a, a yum yum when that like when he's watching it dig into the spine of people mm. and be like yum yum. Yeah, I I don't agree. I'm the flower guy is a top contender for me, but I'm gonna give it to Marcus. Marcus was championing yum yum everywhere. He was quoting things he was being absolutely annoying he was saying things that felt completely out of left field for the sake of it it was a writer indulging themselves for a large portion and that's what yum yum is a writer indulging themselves for whatever reason self-gratification and that is all we've got for you rachel take us home Uh, so if you want even more of us if you've made it this far if That's... you didn't, if you didn't throw your phone across the room screaming, how do they? How do they well, not like Exogenesis? Like probably at least twenty minutes ago, Ryan said, "Just skip this episode and <laughs> um, just tune in next week." But if you want to check out our social medias, we are on the majority of the main ones. We have an Instagram, a subreddit, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. And if you want to be more direct, you can email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com. But there is also an alternative. If you sign up to our Patreon, you get access to a group Discord, which we're interacting with on. We're having fun with our yumlings. And with your fellow yumlings. We have a a whole pantheon of content over on our Patreon, multiple tiers. You get to hear us talk about movies once a month. You get to hear us give our thoughts on many different pieces of media, whether they be podcasts, comic books, movies, uh, board games, video games. Everything's happening over there, as well as us talking about space above and beyond a television series we have mentioned in the past rachel has never seen it before i have so we are going through it so if you want to hear us and join us on our space above and beyond journey you can do so over on patreon once a week we are talking about an episode it is really exciting so come on over if you have the means to do so yum yum podcast on your patreon it is all in the description of this episode please rate and review 
review us on whatever podcatcher you use to do so. Because if you do that, Jakar might come into the episode and say the thing. Good evening to you. You think he'll say it? Did someone give us a five-star review right now? A yum-yum review? Because I just think I heard Jakar just say good evening to you. To me. Well, I can't see him. I better say it back just to make sure. Good evening to you. Ah, Mr. Cannibal, this.